It's Monday night. It's Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast, and we are very excited to be here tonight talking about a very amazing woman who we we're going to be celebrating her, her life. Uh, she just celebrated a 90th birthday, and what a career. And we're going to be talking about her music, her, 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 her lyrics, her art, her activism, all that kind of good stuff. And we're talking about Yoko Ono. Okay, now we know that Yoko Ono, not everybody will agree on a lot of things that we say tonight. Not ev everybody shares the same opinions that we may have about Yoko Ono, and that is fine. Now, if you are one of those people that want to disagree with us and you want to make comments, please make comments, but please make them respectfully. If you don't, bye-bye. Anyways. <laughs> you may, you may have to repeat. We have to repeat yeah. that, Tom. We may, yeah, yeah, hopefully, we, one, hopefully one we don't have to repeat it. Hopefully we don't have to repeat it. Oh, you only it, had so one so person anyways. on when you said it. Yeah, right. Okay. Now, we're, now we're getting more. <laughs> yes, but for the people that are watching in the future, listen, we're going to have a great talk about Yoko Ono. You're welcome to join us, and we welcome your comments. But please make them respectful if you don't agree with what we say. Now, that being said... I'm Tom Hunyadi. You may know me from my other show, Two Legs, a Paul McCartney podcast, where me and my co-host, Annie Nichols, talk all things McCartney, solo, every once in a while, Beatles, but we mainly keep it solo. Okay, now, joining me is the man who's been everywhere for the last 40 years, whether it's been on radio or the internet or emceeing fests or concerts. This man is just nonstop Beatles for the last 40 years. He's Ken Michaels. You know him from his show, Things We Said Today, uh, with, the, with the greats uh, Alan Cozen and Darren DeVivo and his uh, radio show, uh, Every Little Thing, where he does that. He plays every little thing, and it's an amazing show. Ken Michaels, how are we doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing just fine and uh, looking forward to this conversation and very happy uh, that there are so many Yoko tribute shows being done right now. Yes. Yes. So, yes, so well-deserved, you know. Right. Our guest has been very busy lately, and we'll get to her in a minute. Next up is the, the, uh, the YouTube man. He's uh, been on YouTube now for, what, 13 years, is it? 12, whoa, 13? Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. It's going on 11. 11. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> Not so fast. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep you caught up to, to, to Ken here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I got a long way to go. Yeah, you got one. But anyways, you know him as Mean Mr. Mayo. He does a lot of videos, whether it's record store, 
um, and you know, involved with record store days. He's he's doing uh, he's doing Beatles shows. He's got his Fab Gab show where he talks all things Beatles group and solo unboxing videos, uh, rant videos. He's got a movie channel that he'll also talk about later on. And uh, Joe, Mr. Mayo, it's uh, good to see you. How you doing? Thank you, Tom. Doing great. Looking forward to this. And hello, everyone here with me. Okay. And out there, and, Joe. <laughs> and last but not least, if you listen to Beatles podcast, you have had to have heard of this, this woman speak at one point <laughs> or the other. Because for the last, what, seven, eight years, she's just been knocking them out of the park. This show, that show, any show that, that has anything to do with, yes, John Paul, George, and Ringo, she's been on it. Uh, you know her from, from the books, the uh, Michael Jackson FAQ. You know her from her, uh, from her books, <laughs> Phantom and the Beatles, <laughs> with, with, with uh, Ken Womack and uh, her, her wonderful book. Uh, what's the other one? Songs uh, are singing. Songs are singing. <laughs> got it going through the Beatles' lesser known tracks, and I need to slow down. I get, as, as I get in here, I got, you know, I get the excitement kind of, is know, just the excitement builds and it's like that snowball going downhill. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to kind of slow it down a little bit. Now we got a special guest, as you can see, and she's been, like I said, she's been very busy. Um, she was at last year's uh, fest in New Jersey. She'll be there again yes, this so year. Will. So you'll get to meet this wonderful person, Madeline Baccaro who has just wrote this wonderful book, In Your Mind, The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono. This is the, de the definitive uh, bio on Yoko Ono. And Madeline, it's great to see you again. Um, thanks for appearing on all of our shows. And how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I've been busy. A lot of uh, interviews, podcasts, people actually contacting me to be on rather than me contacting them. So that's right. really it's good. Feeling. Yeah, it's a good feeling. And speaking of good feelings, I mean, this book has just been getting, I mean, noticed and you're getting so much attention with this book. Talk about some of the endorsements that you've been getting and then the, these people that have been endorsing these books. Well, it's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame library and archives now. Uh, Olivia Harrison has shared it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and Sean has been very supportive um, on Twitter, mostly. And um, Mojo uh, yeah. has been uh, claimed it for in a piece they just did on buying Yoko's music. Um, yeah, I can't can't be happier. The reviews have been wonderful. Elliot Mintz loves it, which is her Yoko's closest friend. He called it a masterpiece. <laughs> oh, <wow. no>. And Dexter, <laughs> who we appeared together on the uh, podcast the other night, um, he encouraged me to actually put it together, and he's thrilled by it he loves all the detail um and I, I actually have a new customer mm. <laughs> on Facebook mm. who, who wrote a comment she said well I bought the book I despise Yoko but it's interesting to read about people like Hitler and Rasputin so I'm gonna be interested in reading this oh. so mm. she's either gonna hate it or learn a lot. Yeah. Well, that's what you hope. You know, yeah. you hope people will, will learn from this. This is as, probably as the person them. I wrote it for, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. So She's taking before, the first step. Right. There Sorry. you go. Right. So before we get more into the book and more about Yoko Ken Michaels, as, as we know, every time we do this show has, has some news for us. And, and Ken, please share away. 
Well, we're keeping it brief tonight because we really want to focus on talking about Yoko and Yoko and John. Um, two major news items where Yoko is concerned in celebration of Yoko's 90th birthday. Sean made a virtual wish tree for people all over the world to post their wishes online. And this is also in association with One Tree Planted, who will plant real trees in Yoko's honor. And their website launched publicly on Yoko's uh, 90th birthday, February 18th. And you can get more information by going to their website, which is wishtreeforyokoono.com. Also, Yoko and Sean have authorized a new documentary called Daytime Revolution, which is all about uh, the week that John and Yoko co-hosted the popular daytime talk show, The Mike Douglas Show. And this is going to include archival footage from each of the shows, as well as new interviews with six surviving guests, which include Ralph Nader, who uh, will tell the story of the behind the scenes stuff that went on during that week. Yoko and Sean did not participate on camera for this, but they did approve and creatively consult on the project. The companies involved in this production are The Shout Studios, Creative Differences, and CBS Media Ventures, and it's directed by Eric Nelson, and work on the documentary has now been wrapped up. It is 108 minutes long, and at the moment, they're looking for a distributor. Mm. So this is good news right there. Kind of makes me wonder about this and sometime in New York City and right. yeah. going to come oh, out yeah. and not the other, oh, or is I one going to complement the other? Wouldn't it have been cool if this was done in the 90s when more of the parties, you know, the more people that were in that whole week, those yeah. week shows were, were still with us and you can yeah. get them all in one room and they can talk about their experiences and how, you know, have any of their philosophies have changed over the years or the politics or, or what? I mean, it right. would have been really cool to you know, yeah. to, to see more people alive for the and, uh, and last year would have been the 50th anniversary. Right. Yeah, I just did an interview with um, Pat Thomas, the author of the book on Jerry Rubin. It's a biography mm. of Jerry. It's called "Did It" after Jerry's book to it. Mm. So, yeah, that, that was really a great book too. Mm. But that was really something I remember watching that whole week because my school day ended at three i raced home i think the show was on at four o'clock but to have john and yoko on five days out of the week and it really became kind of their show yeah. you know with all people that they invited yeah. and they were very engaged in conversation it made me feel like you know they could have had their own tv show at any time right and so uh yeah glad to see that this is something that uh has just wrapped up production and Hopefully soon we'll find out when it's coming out. All mm -hmm. right. The holiest days of the year for Joe and Tom here happen to be record store day. So we have uh, three big <laughs> releases for record store day to announce here in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Wings album Red Rose Speedway. There'll be a limited edition half speed vinyl master coming out on record store day, which happens to be April 22nd. Uh, 5,000 copies are being made for that. Also, the John Lennon Estate is sharing a 10-inch box set entitled Give Me Some Truth. Originally released on what would have been John's 80th birthday, the 36-track compilation was a new collection of his most vital and best 
uh, Best Love solo recordings remixed for the ultimate listening experience. This new exclusive limited edition release and reimagining of Give Me Some Truth is a box set which contains nine 10-inch EPs, all of them four tracks each. So you get the 36 songs there. Um, all EPs are pressed on white vinyl, and the numbered boxes include two postcards, a poster, a bumper sticker, and eight-page booklet. The set is strictly limited to 1,500 copies. Oh, okay. But wait, there's more. <laughs> two releases from Ringo Starr, both for his 1981 album, Stop and Smell the Roses, one of which is a two-album set, 2,500 copies being made. There's also a one-album version for which only 500 are hmm. being made. Wow. And those are from Culture Factory USA. Even though I don't have the details on the two album set, I'm figuring that's probably with the bonus tracks that it's were the on bonus the bonus tracks. Yeah, yeah, with so. the wake up, uh, red, black, and blues, uh, brandy. brandy. Yeah, so yeah, probably that. But same company that did the old wave uh, album and CD last year. So that's kind of exciting. So now with Friday Music and these, um, that period of time from Rodegavur to um, Old Wave, all that stuff has been reissued now. So that's 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 good. That's good. Now news. we just need Vertical Man, Ringo Rama, yeah. Liverpool Late, Choose Love right. on vinyl. <laughs> but you know, Ken, there there was one more too that's Beatle related, and that is the Blind Man soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, going to be uh, offered on Record Store Day now, but there's no word whether or not the song will be part of that soundtrack. Okay have to make a note of that right so that's really all the news that i do have this time like i said we want to focus on talking about yoko yep so yep. yeah writing okay. it down right now blind man soundtrack okay. <laughs> don't want to Write miss it anything down so you don't forget it Write <laughs> <laughs> it down and ken you don't have to spend too much time on it but you did get to go to a special event uh early or last week right or was it over the weekend it was last Thursday, the 16th. Okay. I got to go to see Paul McCartney, who gave an interview at Yale University to discuss the lyrics book. And this was with Paul Muldoon, who's a poet who collaborated with Paul on it. And, you know, I hate to say it, but it was rather uneventful for me. I was, you know, obviously it's a privilege to be in the same room with Paul McCartney. But I felt like so many of the questions um, that... Uh, were asked were typical questions and Paul gave his usual you know greatest hits if you will for telling the same stories over and over and you know it really is a wake-up call for people like myself because you know he's telling the same story about I saw her standing there and having right. the line never been a beauty queen and changing that to you know what I mean and and the audience is acting like it's the first time they've ever heard it or, <laughs> um, you know, how he dreamt yesterday. And, you he know, dreamt, he dreamt yesterday, <laughs> the, the song <laughs> yesterday, how it came to him. And, um, you know, some of these things that he said so many times over, it's like the first time these people have heard it. Mm. Um, very fortunate that I got in uh, because tickets um were available to the public. Actually, it didn't cost anything. This was a free event. And oh, cool. the circuits blew out, you know, the mm -hmm. first time this happened and they had to redo it all over. And we just managed to get in. There are about seven rows 
um, on the main level for just VIPs, uh, which would be mainly professors, um, right. teachers there. Um, and the rest were all, for the most part, students and people that went online and got tickets. But, um, you know, a lot of what he said is either stuff that he's said many times over or more recently when he did do a few interviews for the mm -hmm. lyrics book. I just took a few notes that I'll mention a few things that I thought were kind of interesting here. Um, and he said this many times that most of the time he and John would write a song from scratch. It would take two to three hours. The only song he ever had trouble with where they got stuck was drive my car. Mm. He had the line, I can give you golden rings, anything. And he changed it to baby. You can drive my car. Um, he said one of the few people interested in songwriting early on was John, which was kind of unique because most of the musicians, people starting out at the time, they just covered songs from other artists. And even very early on, John was trying to write, as was Paul. So um, also, he still thinks when he writes songs, what would John think of this? Hmm. Um, even though John's not here physically, if there's a line in the song that he would question, he would try to think, how would John feel about this? Um, in the lyrics book, the songs were placed alphabetically instead of chronologically. Paul said, I like the shuffling of all the songs. And he said that when it comes to books, he would always look at the index of the book. So this mm. kind of made it simpler that everything was in uh, okay. alphabetical order. Um, he had a great teacher in English literature uh, class growing up. Um, Paul said at the time he wasn't interested in Shakespeare and Chaucer, but the teacher had a great way of turning you onto it. And he got you into the language of the plays. Um, he talked about the importance of family in his life. I'm a family man, he says. Family is a great thing. Family is what holds everybody together. All over the world, every culture has, has that as a central tenet. Um, he also said in the 50s, there wasn't much rock and roll on the radio. There were mainly crooners who sounded a bit fruity. <laughs> and then along came Elvis Presley, Little Richard, and Chuck Berry, and they changed everything for him. He said that Chuck Berry is one of America's great poets. He said he loved early rock because it was so basic, so vital. In some cases, one microphone, one take. And mm -hmm. he said as a bass player, James Jamerson from Motown, he was so adventurous and melodic, made him put his own melodies in the bass. Um, one thing I found interesting was he said sometimes he likes to channel other artists when he's writing songs. Uh, he says, you imagine you're them and it gives you a strength, a confidence. The Long and Winding Road, he was channeling Ray Charles. He right. said, it doesn't hurt to channel someone. It gives you inspiration. And um, he was asked, is there a song you wish you'd written? You could probably figure out what he said. I think he's answered this question before. I know, and I'm trying to remember what it is. <laughs> okay, it's, it's God Only Knows. Oh, right. oh, of course. Yeah, I forgot. He said it's beautifully constructed. Lyrics are very moving. And he said the Beatles and Beach Boys ping ponged off each other. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, I'm still glad that I went there. But um, it reminded me of the lyrics book itself, which I think is one of the most essential books that you have to get as a Beatles fan. 
the biggest disappointment for me in the book is that you'd never know that he wrote material with anybody other than John Lennon. You know, mm. no mention of Elvis Costello or Eric Stewart or Denny Lane right. or anything like that. Carl Davis in one song, yes. <laughs> but, um, and in the conversation at Yale, you know, there's never any talk about that. Most of the references are about his Beatle days. So, right. you know, you're supposed to be saluting this man and the lyrics book covers his entire career up and up to McCartney three, right. you know, and just about everything he talked about was about the Beatle days or before right. the Beatle days, his love of fifties rock and roll. Right. But still it was an entertaining evening and um, great to see a lot of young Beatle fans going, a lot of right. Yale students. Right. And it's, um, um, it's interesting that, I mean, the book's been out over a year now. And uh, mm -hmm. it's interesting that he's, you know, out there still promoting. And I wonder if he did have a tour in mind, but you know, COVID uh, screwed that. But he did do, uh, he did do something like this, right? Um, in yeah. in London, he did. In he London, did, yeah, uh, right. yeah. But you yeah. know something, Paul um, was honored with a doctorate in music uh, at Yale University. Okay. This goes okay. back to two thousand and eight. Mm. I believe it was that long ago. Mm -hmm. And um, when you get a doctorate. You know, the higher ups at the university are supposed to be able to call upon any of these people if they want them for a special event. And to the best of my knowledge, Paul hasn't done anything at Yale since 2008. By the way, his grandson, Arthur, mm -hmm. attended Yale. Okay. So Paul has been on the campus at Yale, but it's always unannounced. He just shows up. Sometimes he walks the street with his with his grandson. And he just recently graduated and he was there in the audience. I didn't get to see him, but mm. yeah. Okay, cool. You also, you also have to yeah. consider that although we've heard these questions answered so many times, maybe a lot yeah. of the young people have not. Yeah, right. well, that's what yeah. I was just saying, you know, when you hear everybody laughing right. at these things that Paul said so many times over, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, this makes you, it. it makes you realize that, you know. <laughs> right. Cool. We've well, been studying you. him, so. Right. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for the Ken Michaels McCartney interview. I'm waiting for the Ken Michaels. Well, I want. I want to hear all new years. questions. <laughs> they speaking, will be all new. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we have a question uh, from Mark. That's a Ken. Did you try to ask Paul a question? They weren't taking questions from the audience. Okay. All yeah. right. And uh, and actually, we have a question already from uh, from Madeline. Uh, from uh, from Mike saying that uh, you uh, recently mentioned, uh, Madeline, that uh, Yoko appeared solo on the Mike Douglas show, uh, performing and doing an interview separately from John. Is that available to view anywhere? Not that I know of. I have it on an old VHS. Um, she did the song Angry Young Woman, and she did an interview. Um, she was showing some of her art objects and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was well, really funny with everything. Uh, it's, it's just so funny that you mentioned that song because I was going to mention some of the lyrics. Uh, oh, okay. What's the, what's the what's the performance when she did? Uh, I'm going to say it right. Sakura. Sakura. That was on Mike Douglas. That was a Mike Douglas performance. Mm -hmm. Okay. That means okay. cherry blossoms. It's an old Japanese oh, nice. song. Cool. All right. Well, uh, as you all know, as we normally do when we have a guest, we usually uh, take turns or round robin uh, fashion. And I'll start off here. And, and Madeline, one of the things I want to talk to you about is, you know, we're going to go through some some of her tweets and a couple lyrics here. But 
you know, if there's anybody out there that has a right to kind of be, you know, mad, bitter, pissed at people, I mean, you figure it's it, it, it's Yoko, but what keeps her so positive? You you look at her tweets and there is just nothing but day in and day out positive energy, how how we can be better as a society, how we can be better as an individual. I mean, what what do you think keeps her ticking in that direction? Well, that's basically a survival mechanism that she developed even as a child, you know, during wartime, during uh, being so totally alone and isolated, having parents that weren't there for her. Um, she just realized that in order to survive, she always had to look at the the beautiful side of life. And it began with the sky. You know, she could always see the sky was the only thing that was constant and there for her. Um, and nature, elements of nature run throughout her work, wind and air and water. And, you know, she's just always um, imbued by the, the energy of nature and, and vibrations. And she's very intuitive and, and sees things that we don't see and sees things in a different way. So yeah. that's how she kind of adapted. It was very cathartic for her to always, you know, have an inverted wisdom, you know, take take right. look at a problem maybe that problem is really helping you in the long run think about what it's telling you you know she's always trying to overcome and really see things from another angle right you know just just going back the the last three months uh really with with some of her tweets and if you don't mind i'm going to share a couple uh, with with everyone here. Uh, look at yourself in the mirror and you will see that you are the one that is shining, the truth for all of us to see. Uh, how many kinds of people must tell you that you are good before you think you are? You know, I like that one. Mm -hmm. um, I dance in my mind. Life is my dance. Um, the question I ask myself is not exciting or interesting, but if you want to know, I often ask if I'm doing the right thing. That's you know, a good thing that, you know, ask yourself, everybody asks themselves. Um, anything you do create creatively uh, will give you satisfaction and make you feel better about yourself and others. Um, what do we really want? As long as we have fear and doubt, we will not get it. I like that one too. And then last one here, hate speeches do not touch the incredible beauty of the life I love. I like that one as well too. So... Yeah. So good yeah, stuff. people say the book is uh, page after page of wonder and wisdom. I mean, I, I use her voice on every single page. I mean, why let that go to waste? All those tweets, you think about it. They go down further and further. You never see them again. There's years and years of them. But I used to save them all. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have them all handy. And I really incorporated a lot of those. And uh, I just think that what attracted me to her when I was a kid, I mean, I've loved her since I was nine years old. And I just remembered loving a snowy day when everybody is forced to stay at home, they can't go anywhere, and you've just got this beautiful white glow outside, and everything's quieted down by this blank, and the house across the street looks so far away because there's mounds of snow. And I always just, you know, everybody was always so busy and I'm like, good, now everybody has to stop and think and just quiet their own thoughts. And here comes Yoko. One of the first things I've, I saw was her, her um, little pieces and grapefruit of listen to the snow. 
you know, and her song, listen, the snow is falling. And she always talks about snow. And she says she always gets an elevated feeling when it's about to snow. And she's just in touch with these little ethereal aspects of nature. And that's what really attracted me to her. Well, I can see that she was never a letter carrier. That much I could see. No. <laughs> was. <laughs> I was. Oh, uh, uh, grapefruit, by the way, is is still available. I I was just on on Amazon earlier, and I was looking up um, you know stuff about Yoko and to purchase, and I didn't realize grapefruit is still available. So I'm going to oh, make yeah. that purchase soon. It was out of print for years in the 70s and 80s, and then now it's yeah all over the place. It's great. Right, right. Because I mean that that's where. Uh, what John got the uh, inspiration to write Imagine. Mm-hmm. Imagine the clouds dripping, that one. Mm-hmm. I have a whole chapter on grapefruit. It's There's so much going on in there. Um, she wrote most of it in 19, well, up before 1964. And that's when the first uh, printing came out in 500 copies only. And those are going for like $10,000 now. Wow. But MoMA did an exact replica of that edition uh, in 2015, during the big retrospective of her work there, and there are mm. 500 of those, and she signed 50 of them, so I've got one of those. But it's just such a great, it's for everyone. It's for kids, everyone. You, you can just right. really um, get a lot out of it, and it's kind of like exercises that you can do in your mind, really. Mm-hmm. Madeline, so what, what year was it? Was the, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the, the, the uh, edition, the hardcover with the yellow jacket, Oh, that was 71. That's the one I think they went around signing that, that one. No, they went for the, they signed, they, did this, the, they signed the little, the paperback. Um, yeah, the Simon Schuster has it, or yeah, the one that came out in England. They signed it Selfridges. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kit, do you want to ask that question from Laura? Yes. Uh, yep. So you have a question uh, from uh, Laura Mee. I've always, I've always been wondering about Yoko's spiritual beliefs. Do we have any insight into that? Yeah, her family was um, half Buddhist and half Christian, and she was raised on all those things. Um, she's not particularly religious, but she does have a very strong Buddhist, you know, Zen aspect to her work. Um, most of it is like, you know, uh, a Zen riddle, you know, those koans where, you know, is what's the sound of one hand clapping, you know, it all comes from that kind of uh, place. And um, yeah, I think she just, whether it's consciously or not, she's just very, very based in Buddhism. Mm. Um, before I turn it over, I want to talk briefly about a couple songs here. Um, song when it comes to songwriting i mean she was wasn't really doing that pre pre john right it was that's more of a a thing that when they were together john you know encouraged her to do Mm -hmm. yeah she had been doing some let's say soundscapes really with john cage and she had done a performance with ornette coleman at the royal albert hall he asked her to join his band and it was totally free form improv she even wrote the instructions out in words you know, how the, how the musicians put, should play, um, you know, like play like you've been deprived of everything in your life and just get this feeling out of a saxophone. Um, but then, you know, John sets her up with Ringo and Klaus Vorman during his Plastic Ono Band's album sessions. 
and she runs with it. And Sean has a great quote where he goes, you know, she comes from not even being interested in rock and roll to inventing punk rock. Right. And, and the fact that she, she, you know, I mean, became such a prolific songwriter. I mean, as I'm exploring her lyrics, I'm just blown away by these as somebody that wasn't a songwriter, you know, in, you know, in practice. I mean, she was, you know, more artist as, as, as we know, but um, you mentioned angry young woman earlier. And I just, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a, a couple of lines here, you know, angry, angry young woman on sunshine or on sun, sunrise strip walking away to the new world. She left her man, she left her children because she knows she has only one life to live. Angry young woman with her background on her forehead. I, I love that line, background on her forehead. Three children, two abortions, played a little piano 10 years ago and some typing from college where she met her husband. Just, you know, what a story. Um, angry, angry young woman, angry young, I can't, sorry, I'm angry young woman, angry young woman. There's no way back, so just keep walking. And this line I, I love, leave your past in your raincoat pocket. What a line. Um, and, and, and when you turn the corner, you'll see the new world. Very you know, I think I, I think Yoko uh, should have helped Paul a lot. That would have been a great yeah. te team up if they yeah. got together and wrote together right. sometimes. A little, and, little more often. Yeah. yeah. And um, the song we briefly talked about when you're on Two Legs, um, Straight Talk. Um, you say you're well and satisfied, but your body tells me something else. What is it, baby? Tell me, tell me, speak up, give it to me straight, or we'll never know what you think or what you want. Um, and then, you know, the chorus, part of the chorus, unless we teach each other what we really feel, how are we going to communicate and get ourselves together? You know, you know, she's, she's talking about, you know, these stories about, you know, women, um, you know, how to communicate you know, uh, women's live, I, all this stuff, activism stuff. I, I, it's just so incredible when the more you go down this, this um, you know, rabbit hole of, of her lyrics, it, you just learn so much, you know, just about yourself or, or people or the way people are feeling then or the way she was feeling then, uh, just really moving stuff. Yeah, those are both from Feeling the Space. Yes, feeling the space um, you know, there's a chapter called Woman Power in the book and it's, I mentioned, that album and those songs and uh, Woman Power is her feminist anthem pretty much. Um, and yeah, Angry Young Woman, you know, basically about what little women have once they're, you know, in their 20s, 30s, married with a kid, what do they really have? And that's why they're mm -hmm. so afraid to leave the husbands. And, you know, she's just basically telling you to, build something for yourself and uh straight talk was she said that she was very coming from a surreal point of view always and thinking in a surreal way and John kind of taught her to speak more straightforward and mm. uh, you know and and he gave her that really interesting very oh, cool really interesting. all right Kit you want to take over Sure. Uh, just to uh, read a couple, uh, a comment and a question before I, I get to my questions. Um, just to show again, you know how how really ahead of her time uh, she was. That uh, uh, one of our our good friends, loyal uh, loyal viewer listener, uh, uh, Paulina uh, Angel said, uh, "Every man is a woman 
is a very great song, and I love that she rewrote it years later as Every Man, Every Woman for the LGBTQ community. So, Mm -hmm. you know, she always has, you know, just been not only an advocate for feminism, but an advocate for, you know, so many uh, communities. Um, And uh, Mark also had had a question. Uh, said, Yoko seemed uh, to basically uh, adapt poetry, non-rhyming to a song structure. Uh, How much of the melodies came from her and did she ever consider trying to write more traditional lyrics? Um, All the melody was her, all the arranging, all the producing, everything, everything, the mixing. I mean, she had a classically trained background. She played piano. That was really the only instrument she played. But she wrote it all on piano. Um, Some of the things she had written before she met John, like Remember Love was one of her earliest, even Listen, the Snow is Falling, Song for John, which ended up on Approximately Infinite Universe. And it's funny because those are the three quietest songs she ever did. And that's kind of, it's funny because you went from the avant-garde noise stuff to writing those little things on her own. And then she showed them to John and he said, oh, these are really beautiful. But the first album she made was the wild one, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, everything is her. She come with the lyrics that she they come from her life or you know other women that she observes. But mostly it's her. But on approximately infinite universe, it was more characterizations of people of women, you know. And this some of it are are really um, the softer side of women, and then other sides are kick ass, you know. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, One thing I I wanted to talk about, and I'm sure you've talked about this on many shows, but I just think it is so crucial Mm -hmm. to understanding, you know, her work, whether it's her, her art, her music, is her, you know, the influence of the Fluxus movement um, in her work. Because I'll tell you, when I, you know, first started learning about it, and, you know, about the history of it, the theory behind it, Mm -hmm. really her her art and it really became crystal clear to me i mean i i really like i get it (laughs) i get it now (laughs) i mean i i really did and i really like the the idea behind it and i just wonder if if you could i know it's kind of hard to 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 you know succinctly define but i i just wonder if you could talk you know just a little bit about you know what you know, what the theory is behind the Fluxus movement and, and how it has influenced, you know, how it influenced her work. Because I, as I said, I just think this is so crucial to yeah. understanding. Yeah, so George Machinis is the founder of Fluxus. He's a Lithuanian. He was based in New York. And he uh, just didn't like the way that art was elevated, you know, and and that value was placed on paintings and that they were being sold for millions of dollars. He just felt that art should be an action or or just that he wanted all these other artists to get together. And he made a a forum for that. And he started the first cooperatives where artists started to live and work um, together and separately. And at the same time, Yoko had been, she got a, a loft and because there were only two or three places where anybody other than, you know, some famous composers could perform. So she said, well, I want to get this loft. And she started this concert series on Chambers Street in 1960, 61. And everybody came. 
you know, it was just this cold water flat. She had orange crates set up as her bed. She just would <laughs> no, no heat, nothing. And but everybody came and performed. And she and and then the audience was Marcel Duchamp, Isamo Noguchi, Peggy Guggenheim. It was just the scene. And um, you know, she and George really hit it off. They were really kindred spirits. Um, and he gave her her first showing, a gallery showing. Um, it was called AG Gallery, his own thing. And actually it was being closed because he couldn't pay the rent anymore. And the electricity had been shut off so they could only have her show during the day. And <laughs> uh, people came and she was showing each person. And, and this is painting to be stepped on. And this is what you do. And this is shadow. And she was really um, playing off the shadows and, you know, using those as the work. And, it, you know, she was amongst them. Um but she was never labeled anything. She didn't label herself amongst the feminist or amongst the fluxus or amongst rock and roll or my, she was just Yoko, you know, she was doing her own thing, but those were the most, you know, I would say similar themed uh, artists at the time. And I, in the book, there's a, there's a thing called Yoko Ands and I have Yoko and George Machunas, a chapter on him and Yoko and Charlotte Mormon, who she was kind of like the meltdown curator of the avant-garde, you know, before meltdown, she would um, have the annual uh, avant-garde festivals and all these people would play. And she brought it into the streets, into train stations. And so she got it out of the galleries and into the streets, you know, yeah. And she and Yoko were very close. And Charlotte performed Yoko's cut piece many, many times. Um, and then there was Maya Zumi and her first husband, Toshi Ichinagi, the composer. And he was uh, <clears throat> collaborated a lot with John Cage. And there's a whole bit about Yoko and John Cage. So, yeah, they were all in the same circles. And, and she happens upon them by a professor of hers who is Andre Singer, um, Serbian composer at Sarah Lawrence. He said to her, you know, Yoko, your stuff is really a, a little strange. You should seek out these people in New York, you know, who are doing some interesting things. So that's when she went to New York and found them. Yeah. And I just find, you know, that, and I'm sure this is a, you know, this is a really simplistic way of, of, of you know, defining fluxus, but I like that the, you know, the idea is that the the process is just as important or even, you know, oh, more yeah. as the completed artwork. Right. And so, you know, something like cut piece that you just mentioned, which is, of course, you know, one of Yoko's famous, uh, most mm. famous works. I mean, it, you know, that that's a perfect example of it, that it's really the process in this case. The process, know, the interaction, you know, the right. offering, uh, you know, to the audience rather than having just them sit there and admire a static object exactly and that the audience becomes part of the performance and that's you know that's a, a you know a classic part of of her work and and so as i said as i as i began to learn more about it i really started understanding her art a and lot a, more a quote appropriate to that is that you know she would say I don't accommodate the audience. I ask the audience to accommodate. And also if 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 everybody walked out of your show, you've really done something important. You've really, you know, made a, an impact. Yeah, exactly. And and so um, you know, it, it also kind of extends for music, I think. And one of the songs, this sounds like a, a weird stretch, but I wondered if you know, you could comment on it is one of my favorite recent songs 
of hers is a bad dancer. When I heard this, I just, I loved it. Um, I love it. I mean, and first of all, because it shows her humor, which I think is a big part of of her work. And I don't think she gets enough credit for it. But, it, you know, it also, I, I think, is about, you know, when, when she is talking about I'm a bad dancer with no regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it is kind of like Fluxus in that it's doing, you know, creating something on your own, your own way. Um, and, and to well, she you know, just you like art, she's taking dance and saying, well, you know, who's to say that a graceful movement is better than an awkward movement, you know? Okay, now I don't feel so crazy. Good, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> right, I mean, that that's what Flux is about. What is art? You know, what is beauty? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it felt like she was, she was coming full circle um, on she that up, She In Grapefruit, she has the 13-day dance festival. And day one is watch the water dance. And day two is breathe. And day three, and there's really not much about actual dancing, but she sees these things as a dance, you know, just an experience. Exactly, exactly. And uh, boy, when you said water, you just gave me a really good transition to another song that I wanted to mention. So thank you. Um, Which is one of my other favorites, probably the first song that I that really drew my attention uh, is World Water. Um, I I just another song that I think shows offers not only uh, you know, just some some great lyricism, but but her sense of humor as well. You mentioned earlier, about you know, you know nature of uh, you know imagery uh, in inner work and here's here's a perfect example of world water right. um you know i love the lyrics in this saying essentially we're you know we're all we're all the same but you know sometimes using you know funny imagery what was her you know what was her preoccupation you know preoccupation with using water uh, in, well, you know, water is huge for her. I mean, actually, you know, we're all made of water. And yep. um, even when she talks about a glass half empty, she's like, the glass can never be half empty. It's always full, half with air and half with water. Um, mm. She just, you know, and um, where all water is amazing because I got to see her perform it live at the one-to-one concert, the only wow. concert they ever did together in America. Um but I love that song. And there's a whole chapter on, on, on nature and it's broken down into, you know, air and sky and water. But she, the biggest thing is that, you know, water is not valued in, in the world as much as gold. And it's so, she's just illustrating our misplaced values. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she she really asks a lot of interesting questions. And that's and that's uh, based on a poem. Uh, correct. What, if the part of that song is that based on? Oh, we're a water. Um, no, yeah. the other one is born in a prison is based on. Oh, OK. Yeah. Is based on um, a little poem she wrote about, you know, a, a wood becoming a flute when it's loved and just a, a, animate objects becoming um, imbued with human qualities um yeah she's really into all that and yeah. invisible the invisible things being important in our lives that we don't 
recognize and just that simple things are very important like breathing right you don't do like a dissonant ninth harmony when you're breathing you don't even think about it and that's the most important thing we do exactly exactly now another thing that uh, fascinates me uh, just one more song before I, I turn it over here is uh, walking on thin ice and this is this is a, a, another thing that fascinates, fascinates me about Yoko and also kind of you know drew my attention was I, I love her more you know like her new new wave and dance oriented kind of material and of course you know in later years she really became uh, influential uh, in, in uh, the dance uh, you know, the dance mm-hmm. arena. Um, but this this song, uh, Walking on the Nice, was really transformational for her in, in terms of, uh, I mean, well, in many ways, but but certainly in the dance charts. But um, but uh, but the the lyrics are are just so haunting. Um, exactly. And yeah. this was an older song. She said John pulled this out of one of her tapes, and she said, "Oh, why that one?" But yeah. He liked it and yeah, he loved it. I mean, it's it is just so haunting. And one and another thing that's fascinating about it, and wanted I just wanted to ask you about it is, you know, the guitar solo that that John does on it is so different than any other that he had done. I mean, it it's so. Um, I mean, it's kind of avant garde in its own way. I mean, I, I've just I've never heard him do another guitar. It's it's wonderful. Uh, one of his best. I, it really I think is. It, yeah, he was probably shocked by it himself. He couldn't stop listening to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I just wondered if if Yoko had any influence on that. I mean, did, did you know how did did she you know? I, I mean, I just wondered if she had any particular influence uh, on him. I don't know if she actually told him how to play. I mean, they yeah. were all very in tune with each other, so he he probably knew what the song needed but she did give guidance I mean there were some takes where she wasn't happy and she said it wasn't gritty enough and she wanted it to be more funky you know she she really honed it but um yeah as far as him I think that I he probably came up with that because she wouldn't know how to I mean she could say she used to say things things like play like the wind is going over the back of a frog you know and Sean would know what that meant you know John yeah, would, right. but, but you know she wouldn't say you know tune it to the sixth fret and you know she right yeah. yeah but I was just I was just always been curious because it's like he played like on that song like no other that I, yeah, I've amazing. ever heard and I've, I've just always been curious and, and and any any particular is that the the lyrics as I said are just so haunting is there any particular background to those you know the, to those the lyrics, lyrics are the lake you know she tried to walk the lake. she's thinking of Lake um Lake Michigan because she had been there with John and that's what oh. she had in her mind and she also realizes that it, the girl is her, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the the most haunting thing in that song is that line. I wonder if she knew about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, right? yeah, exactly. I mean, and you know, of course, written long before what right. happened. I have happened. a chapter called Premonitions, and it's all about this kind of thing. Many, many of her songs have not just the songs, the films, the just anything that she had said in an interview. The things that came true like 50 years later really wow. and the b-side of that song was it happened it happened at a time of my life when I least expected I don't even remember how no, you know but it happened and I know there's no return no way that had been from 1974 that's just amazing really that's just 
really scary. Uh, and the film it. Rape, she made this film with John, but she had conceived of it before, you know, she met him and um, the instruction, it was, you know, well, everything was in instructions. These films actually got made because John could help her do it, I guess. But um, it was, the instruction was uh, Cameron follows a girl through the streets like, relentlessly and doesn't stop. Um, so the actress wasn't really an actress. She was uh, just a girl they found on the street to follow. Uh, she sent Nick Noland, her cameraman, to do it. And he was a really shy guy. And her, he came back with a few takes that weren't acceptable to her because he's just like kind of far away on a girl. And she says, no, no, you, you got to pursue the girl. And he, you know, first she starts out friendly. She's waving to the camera. She thinks it's kind of fun. But, but she's Hungarian. She doesn't speak English. And they follow, follow. And look, she gets more and more and more upset and agitated and scared. And um, her sister was in on it. They had gotten the key to her apartment from her sister. And she was a little paranoid because she her visa had expired. So she thought maybe this had something to do with that. And she they even followed her into her apartment. It really hellish kind of thing. Um, but Yoko, you know, views it later and she sees, oh my God, this is the cameras pursuing us. This is what the scene done to me. Incredible. Yeah, but really. That is really scary. Yeah. Well, thank you. And and really, folks, in addition to reading uh, Madeline's incredible book, learn more about the Fluxus movement because it, it really helps put Yoko's art and, and music all together. It makes mm. things make a lot more sense and you'll appreciate mm. it a lot more. So, <laughs> so commercial over. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Both of you like Fluxus. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, who, uh, Ken, why don't we go with you next? <laughs> okay, God, this is so many things I love to talk to you about, and the book is phenomenal. It really gets you into... <laughs> <laughs> I took a sneak peek to look at your notes there, Joe, so I can take a few of them. But he um... took the cameraman to your place to look at one of your pots and to take notes. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if, um, if it was Jack Douglas who said it may be an above us only sky. I'm trying to remember where that Yoko always thinks differently. It's always the opposite of what most people think in her opinions on certain things. And I pulled a few things here from your book that kind of illustrates that. Um, as far as dealing with the concept of time, Yoko said the present moment can be an eternity in time. History can be a blip in your memory. I don't separate the two. Also, some people are old at 18 and some are young at 90. Time is a concept that humans created. Sounds like a song there. Instead <laughs> of God as a concept. But um, yeah. so it's like uh, Yoko turns every preconceived idea on its ear. Um, she said, what's, what's the difference between today and in the 60s? that we are all younger now, which sounds like Bob Dylan, you know, yeah, I'm younger than that now. She also says, I keep my head empty. And Yoko encourages us to empty our heads and not block wisdom with too much knowledge. Okay, almost kind of similar to what George Harrison said, the more I learn, the less I know. You can clutter up your head with too much stuff. Mm. Um, I want to deal with the world that is in subconscious. 
not the world in consciousness, but underneath the consciousness. That is where I am. Okay, I find all this stuff fascinating. If you want to elaborate on any of these points there. Um, That's where she is in the subconscious, the invisible. I just find it so beautiful. It's, that's where we all should be, you know, and history isn't what happens. It's what didn't happen. That's and, and, you know, you turn it around, but it is profound. It's you think about it. And she just lives that way. And it, look at it. She's 90 worked for her. I mean, she survived 40 years without John you know, after that happened to her, and then things got worse. I mean, John died. You think that was the worst of it? Uh, -uh. <laughs> you know, she suffered a lot. And she's just always positive. And I mean, this is where she exists. I mean, we think about our home, our neighborhood, maybe we take a trip to Europe, but she thinks about infinite universes. You know, the world, her world is just so incredibly huge that we can't even imagine and she's trying to bring us there she's trying to show us and you know aliens would understand her but we kind of shut her out right it's all the stuff that we don't see i think that's what she's most curious about and she tries to bring out in her work mm -hmm. um about her history some things that a lot of people may not know she told Mojo Magazine in June 1997 that she was trained in Italian opera and German leader, Perrault Lunaire by Schoenberg and Lulu by Alan Berg. She was told when she was 17 or 18 that she can make it as an alto or mezzo-soprano. And in 2015, she wrote in a public message that this was what she was trying to escape from. She didn't want to be a trained voice. She wanted to find her own niche. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the fact that these people thought so highly of her, talent-wise, as a singer, has got to tell you something right there. Mm. That's right. Also, um, she said that she felt restricted by her peers in the avant-garde community who considered her vocalizing too emotional. Um, and also, through John's influence, Yoko began writing structured songs with evocative lyrics, but in a more conventional framework. So I wanted to know if that, wouldn't that go against Yoko's instincts? Look, they had to bring each other from an extreme to the middle so that they could both survive. He was he was constrained in the pop world. So mm. she had to show him, look, you can do so much more than this. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to say these something in a brief three minute song. You know, you're saying, I want to hold your hand. You could be saying something important. And then he took her from, you know, circling the globe in her mind every day to like, you know, bring her down to the root of a rock and roll beat and give her something to, to, to give her some structure. And he, her greatest quote is that he woke me up from my mind game. Hmm. How important was it to Yoko to be commercially accepted i know with her the art was more important than that but she also struggled a lot early in her career and she talked about how she wasn't women had a tough time in the avant-garde world so was it somewhat of a relief to be in some way hooked up with someone one of the most popular talents in the world it, it didn't know? really help her i mean 
her she did say you know she marries john and she wakes up and the whole world is her mother-in-law you know it's one thing when it's just your family but this is the whole world and not only that it elevated her to visibility but it didn't help her to be understood she she would have craved to be understood but for the level of fame and for the commercial success she didn't want any of that and the funniest thing is we were at a party for I think it was John's book, Skywriting by Word of Mouth. She invited me to this. They had a dance party at this club and they were playing Walking on Thin Ice and people were dancing. And I said, look, Yoko, they're, look, this is great. They're dancing. She's like, maybe I'm becoming too commercial. <laughs> so, you know, she may or not have been kidding, but I don't think she was kidding. <laughs> she probably was so much more comfortable in her own circles in the very beginning with people who had a better understanding of what she was doing than on a massive level where the mainstream public were just baffled by her work yeah but now that her work is in museums all over the world it's now, been now millions of people are seeing her work and she got to realize that they're enjoying it and she's revel. She loves it. This is what she needs. She wouldn't, she wouldn't care for everybody's basically dancing to her music, you know, but more, more so that they understand her, her, her art. Yeah. Now um, she was classically trained as a pianist, but is there any footage anywhere of her just alone on the piano playing classical music that we could observe? Because I would love to see just that. Yeah, I've never you know? seen anything like that. No, um, she didn't really, you know, she was taught piano, but she thought more along the lines of being a composer. And her father, you know, he was already to have a boy and him father following his, his father. Her father wanted to be a, a concert pianist and he was very, very good, but he had to give that up to marry into her mother's prestigious, richest family in Japan. So, so he um, was giving her piano lessons all, but he said, you know, you, you'll never really be a good pianist. Your hands are too small. And she was very discouraged. But she said, you know, I don't want to do that either. I want to be a composer. And her father told her, well, there are no female composers. So this is what she was facing. And mm -hmm. then her um, part of her training is interesting. She was um, in a prestigious school and children weren't taught music in regular schools only children of nobility and prestige went to the school that she was in and they were taught to um transcribe the sounds of the birds in the garden and she literally she knows perfect pitch she knows she can tell you what note anything is even a you know hmm. augmented fifth a minor you know she she's good with that but she was trying to just transcribing writing musical notations of these birds chirping and she realized well this is impossible you know it's, it's beautiful but you know can't do it and she realized there's something wrong with the way we score music so she took a musical staff and she wrote play this with the accompaniment of birds at dawn and that's <laughs> when the instructions started interesting oh, hmm. all right i wanted to list a few of my favorite lyrics of Yoko's and a few of these I talked about on uh, Joe's show but um, I always love Dogtown a lot where she writes someday I'll be remembered for the phone calls I never made letters I never mailed and stories I never finished telling anyone 
Someday I'll be remembered for the fine words I meant to keep, a warm smile I meant to leave, and a true song I meant to finish writing all my life. And there's this constant theme throughout her, her work about things being unfinished. And so that really um, illustrates that. And the words flow so well together, you know? There's, yeah, it's you know, a real feeling of hers. Um, sadly, I think, because she's done so much, but she's still... I guess every artist, when they put out their new record, that's their baby. That's their, they're thinking, well, the past is the past. This is great. This is what I just did. Yeah. But she always felt like she's never said it yet. She's never really gotten it, you know, right. But I think she has. <laughs> she's very wrong there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, another one uh, is Rainbow Revelation. Mm -hmm where she writes, bless you for your anger, it's a sign of rising energy. So there you go, thinking the opposite. You would think of something as anger as a yes. bad trait to have, but then she says it's a sign of rising energy. Direct not to your family, waste not on your enemy. If you turn it to love, it'll bring you happiness. Bless you for your anger, it's a sign of rising energy. Then the next um, few verses, she starts with a different line. Bless you for your sorrow, it's a sign of vulnerability. Bless you for your greed. It's a sign of great capacity. All, you know, thinking the opposite of what it really is, but you turn it into something positive. Exactly. The song. So I love that. And then there's Winter Song, which I think is one of the most beautiful songs that she's written. And so much of Yoko's stuff, which you really can't categorize because it's very diverse musically, but a lot of it is quite melodic. And I'm always drawn to ballads. I'm very much, <laughs> I, I'm a ballad guy. But, uh, you know, something like Winter Song, um, It's Now or Never, Nobody Sees Me Like You Do. I love all those songs. Um, but the lyrics in Winter Song are really touching. I know you now for a thousand years. Your body still feels nice and warm to me. The sun is old. The winter's cold. The lake is shining like a drop of Buddha's tears. The mountains lie in a distance like the future we'd never reach. And I kept my warmth with your mm -hmm. body close. The future no. we'd never reach. Yeah. Great stuff. The lake right is there. shining like a drop of Buddha's tears. Mm. The right. bed is shining like an old scripture that's never mm. been opened before. And I keep my warmth with your mind close. Yeah, John loves this song. He he actually said he wished he had written it. No, okay. Well, those are some of my favorites right there. <laughs> Only a few. Only a few. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I yes, guess I had something I wanted to say, control. if I may. Can I say yeah, something? Oh, <laughs> well, for one turn. thing, you heard you heard all those wonderful lyrics. There are people out there that still think all Yoko does is scream and make noise. And I think one thing we have to learn is that you have to learn is that it's not the case for those people that are, you know, detractors or clueless and don't realize that. But, I, you know, I, I wanted to talk about a couple of things, ask Madeline about a couple of things. One of them was I was going to ask about Yoko's musical training, which Ken just kind of covered uh, regarding the, you know, the piano and, and that. So uh, also I, then I was wondering about her business sense because she you know as we know like uh, especially we talked about it at near the end of john's life talking about how he didn't really have that talent that left it all to yoko to do that kind of business stuff take care of all the deals and everything how did she develop a business sense like that do you know exactly when or how she got to be 
so adept at that? Well, her father was a banker. Her her whole family came from a billionaire banking empire. It might have been in their blood because then her sister went into it as well. Um, and then she became an artist later on. Um, but she had the sense somehow, even though, um, you know, people say, well, she came from privilege. You, 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 she, well, she married John for money or whatever. And she, but she was from the one of the most wealthy families. And when she moved to New York, she was living bare bones. There's a guy that wrote a novel who had dated Yoko. And in the novel, he has this character, Aiko, but it, it is Yoko. I mean, he's describing her perfectly, her, how just everything about her. But he says he picks her up for a dinner date and he goes to this apartment, walk up and it's cold water, flat, no heat. And she's got no furniture and she's got nothing really to speak of, no possessions. And he takes her out to eat and she eats like she's famished. And then he take. there's another time where she's at his place and uh, she takes a bath every single, like three times a day because it's such a luxury to have a bath. And, but this is how she chose to live. She's her art was first and foremost. She took side jobs to, you know, supplement her little income there. She was the superintendent of her building. She almost burned it down by burning the garbage the wrong way. And, you know, she worked at Japan society as a typist and also um, displaying Japanese arts and crafts and was in a film, uh, this crazy film called Satan's Bed, where she was the opposite of what she really is. You know, she was this victimized young girl. And, but she did all these things just to finance her her rent. Yeah, have you, have you I was going to ask you that next. Have you ever seen Satan's Bed? I've, I've never yeah, seen it. It's kind of crazy. And she's good. She's good in it. She's like a timid little. She's acting all. Yes. Does she have a, a small part in it? No, she's the lead. She's one oh, she's a, it's, it's oh, a, she's a wow. lead. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. It's actually on YouTube. If you want to check oh, it out. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I got to do that for my movie channel. I was just going to say, <laughs> do that for your movie channel. <laughs> she was also in a film. It was a TV film called Homeless. And she... Right you know, was this homeless woman. It, I don't think it really got shown um, here, but um, she was really apprehensive about making it because she knows the implications of things that happen to her in the future when you do them, you know, now. But, and she thought, oh my God, I'm playing this homeless person. Could this eventually happen to me? It, but it's interesting. Glad, thank God it didn't happen. Been another premonition. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness it wasn't. Um, Joe, anything else, or can I? No, that's, uh, that's it. I wanted to ask a question here, and and uh, forgive me for pleading ignorance, but if she came from such a wealthy family, was she just that determined to make it on her own, where she didn't want to rely at all on the family's money? Um, they weren't gonna give it to her. They didn't approve of what she was doing they didn't approve of john lennon he went there in overalls and a beard to meet them and uh they even said to her oh your other husbands were more handsome even though they didn't approve of them either they didn't approve of toshi who was a composer studying in juilliard he was japanese from her own town born the same year mm. but he wasn't of their class of, of wealth so 
they didn't approve of any of it and they didn't even go to her wedding to the first guy or none of them none of the weddings yeah i was gonna ask what does it say about a person that you know comes from wealth or you know a wealthy family and empire leaves all that behind and then you know continues to you know struggle but then builds her own or 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 helps build an empire herself yeah you know it's pretty amazing when you think about it well she went on a path of healing for her own self i mean that's really all it was you know trying to and also she when she was younger she's suffering through the war her and her brother and sister were starving okay they were sent to a farm an abandoned farmhouse um in the suburbs of well Nagano I guess and um they were the children who lived in that town were poor and they resented them and they were throwing stones at them and they wouldn't give them food and the servant who she had servant her family had like 30 servants and they were sent to this remote place with a servant who abandoned them after the first day families were going into the woods to eat mushrooms to, to survive and they died from the poison mushrooms and this is bad stuff. I mean, Tokyo was on fire, okay? And she sent to here for safety and the farm, farmhouse had a hole in the roof and they would sit there and uh, her brother was very, very hungry and crying. And she said, okay, well, what do you want to eat? And he said, oh, I want ice cream. Okay, let's have ice cream. What flavor? And they started making these imaginary menus. And he, she realized, oh, look, he's happy now. He's laughing. And that's, that's another reason she started these instructional things so wow wow well she really is a survivor then she gets back to tokyo and the whole she sees her whole city she's on the back of this rickety truck she didn't think they'd even make it home and luckily her home wasn't bombed but everything around was pretty terrible and that's when she realized the transience of things and that's why her work is all um evolving and, and is nothing you can really sell or hold like if she was making art to sell right you can't sell an apple you can't sell a you know a shadow or you can't sell the, the imaginary films and everything was just in her mind but it, that's how it had to be hmm. wow boy her life experience i mean it it really puts her art all into perspective i mean it really it makes does. a lot of sense I mean, it's such a fascinating story in so many aspects that nobody has taken, I can't say nobody, because a lot of people are appreciating her now, but most people have never taken the time in all these years to really, you know, see why or what she's about. And everybody's at a loss for it because she, she's so giving and involves everybody in what she's doing. And if only they had listened earlier. Mm. She also deserves a ton of credit for doing all the things she has to keep John's legacy alive. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've said so many times that the greatest gift she ever gave to Beatle fans was a Lost Lennon Tapes radio series. And, uh, you know, what a treat that was mm. to to hear all the, the unreleased songs of John's and um different mixes of his songs demos of his songs interviews that you might not have heard before and to do that in a radio series for four years so right many of us think about what she yeah. what she gave up to give you that you know she didn't do her own work for so many years to focus on putting all of his things out i mean 
they were a team, you know, she didn't and think of how important her life was, her art was to her life. And she just put it all on hold to get his stuff out because she cared about the fans too. Because she said in a way, you know, they went through the same thing, the, the loss of him. So she was always concerned about that. Yeah. Plus the recent box sets. Oh, yeah. you know, they just, imagine uh, and, oh. and, and Plastic Ono Band and um, the Peace Tower in Iceland and and that and was so an imaginary many... thing too that was a little thing in the back of grapefruit if you look it up she's a ono sales list and it says light tower to only appear at certain times of the day and that when john invited her over for the first time he asked her hey can i get one of these she says oh it's conceptual but now there is it there it is yeah. yeah. mm. kid uh, you want to add anything else yeah, I, I asked um, our audience uh, to uh, if they wanted to share some of their favorite uh, tracks, uh, Yoko tracks, and and some have. Uh, Penny Wayne mentioned Silver Horse. This is oh, Lennon. Love it. Uh, yep. Uh, Move on fast. Angela. Mm -hmm. um, approximately uh, Infinite Universe. Kiss Kiss. Moving on. So just a few of her amazing songs. I really love her music. Nice. Um, and uh, let's see, Mark, that my favorites are Midsummer New York and Mine Train. Uh, let's see, Marcus Thompson agreed, Mrs. Lennon is such a good Yoko Ono song with nice piano coming from John. Um, and let's see, what else do we have? Um, scrolling up here, okay. Um, let's see, um, my Beetleman says, uh, remember love, it happened. Mrs. Lennon, oh. Hell in Paradise, Goodbye Sadness, and Your Hands. Oh. And uh, Paulina Angel uh, listed Remember Love, Why, Sisters, Oh Sisters, I like that one too. Uh, don't Be Scared, Every Man Has a Woman Who Loves Him. I think that's everything, yeah, I think so. And um, uh, Mark added uh, to, to you, Madeline, um, Malin, in 1991, Yoko and Sean produced a new version of Give Peace a Chance with celebrity guests and new topical lyrics. How much of that was Yoko and how much was Sean? Any stories about that? Oh, it was both of them. Yoko always rewrote the lyrics. Um, and, and even at the ends of her concerts, she would always have whatever was actually happening at the day, she would incorporate it into the lyrics in the new, you know, whatever news was going on, whatever we needed to heal and fix. You know, she would put it in there. So I'm sure Sean did all the gathering of the musicians. And, uh, you know, Yoko went with it. Yep. But it's yeah. funny, everyone mentioned Mrs. Lennon. It's, yes, I love it. It's kind yeah. of like her, because Fly, her double album Fly, was the companion piece to Imagine, just the way, you know, Plastic Ono Band, those two albums were twin albums. And Mrs. Lennon, I always think of as like a companion song to Imagine, but in a darker you know tone mm -hmm. yeah oh we got one more that just came in from john tobacco hi john uh born in a prison touch me i'm moving on oh yes yeah born in a prison amazing amazing live um and somebody said silver horse which mm -hmm. on one of the top 10 shows i picked that and i call it a twin song with um with um Toy Boat on Season of Glass, they're both on there. And I just think they're really um, beautiful because they both have illusions of salvation. 
because there is the silver horse with no wings, um, mm. you know, that he can't really help her. And then um, the toy boat is in the distance, it's small, but as it comes toward her, it gets smaller. It's just her. Mm. Oh, I just love that stuff. Yeah, I like Toy Boat as well. Yeah, that's a it's it's a, you know very sad, but it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about her short the short films like you know Bottoms and uh you know, Fly? I mean, are, are any of those available to see anywhere, or do you have to seek them out? I mean, you have to. Sometimes they appear on YouTube, but they get taken down pretty quickly. But they mm-hmm. were usually they were shown at the Whitney Museum in 1989. There's whole big they asked her, can we show her your films? And she said, oh yeah, great, but you've got to, let's do an exhibition too. So she did the Bronze Age, which, which was all of her beautiful translucent pieces all recreated in bronze. So that was a really interesting exhibition. But Bottoms, um, she did a, a MoMA talk about the films one night um, and she showed them all. Um, and we sat in the front row with her watching and then she did a Q and A, um, it was great. And I was like starting to recognize all the bottoms and bottoms because at the beginning <laughs> of her concert, she would put them on and yeah, <laughs> snippets. but I have a feeling eventually there will come out, you know, but well, she owns, that, excuse me. She, she owns all of her own, all of those films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But bottoms is great because there's so many things that went along with it. There was um, the protests, of course, because it got censored. So she and her husband, Tony, at the time, um, they gave out daffodils in the street to everyone and just made a big scene like, what's wrong with this picture? There's no, there's no nothing pornographic about it. It's just a close-up of the behinds. And then, um, so she ended up getting an X writing and she could show it at night. And then when she showed it, she would hug and kiss everybody who left the, the theater, no matter when they left, even if they walked right out, she would just give them a kiss. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but the scandal made the news you know she got the greatest that's what really was pushing her you know into the public eye um right before you know before she met john cool ken anything else uh not really no okay joe good good okay again the book in your mind the Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono. Madeline, please let everyone know how they can get a copy if they don't have one already. Okay, so it's on Amazon for those of you overseas who might, you know, get free shipping through Amazon. Um, if you want a signed hardcover book or unsigned, they're only available from me at conceptualbooks.com. And they're at Book Baby. And I think this is store called book depository online that's offering free worldwide shipping but it comes on and off there so you just gotta keep checking or send an alert when it when they have it available and okay. links will be in the description uh when uh, the live version oh, of good. this is done yep thank you oh sure yeah and like i said at the beginning madeline will be at the fest for beetle fans they're in uh march 31st april 1st and april 2nd so Please stop. Uh, see, please stop by her and, and you know meet her and, and get a, buy a copy of the book. You won't regret it. That's for I've sure. Learned a, I've learned a lot already. So, uh, why don't we uh, roundtable and let everybody know what we're up to? 
uh, these days. And uh, Kit, we'll start with you. Okay, well, first of all, you can reach us at uh, Talk More Talk, uh, of course, right here on this channel. And uh, please subscribe and uh, smash that like button and uh, hits the kids say and uh, uh, and please subscribe to be uh, alerted for uh, new uh, videos and episodes and so forth. Uh, you can also reach us on Facebook, uh, where we post what we're up to and any news and so forth and, and upcoming episodes. Uh, we're on Twitter at TalkMoreTalk1, the number one. You can also reach us via email with any feedback, uh, ideas for um, for topics. Uh, we're always open for that at uh, TalkMoreSoloTalk at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find us on the web at TalkMoreTalk.com. And uh, as for me, uh, if you're watching this uh, on February 20th, on February 21st, I'm going to be co-hosting a Tuesday night book club with our good friend Ken Womack. We're going to be discussing Questlove's book, Music is History. Really mm -hmm. looking forward to it. It's at 730 uh, Eastern time, February 21st. It's absolutely free to sign up for. And uh, I have the link on my Facebook page. I'll put it up if it's not up already on uh, the Talk More Talk page. Uh, also, the next episode of Toppermost of the Poppermost, which covers February 1963 um, will be up very shortly. So uh, I will be putting up the link as soon as it's up. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. So uh, so be on the lookout for that. And I think that's everything. I hear okay. Chris Loves is working on a Sly and the Family Stone documentary. Yes, he is. I can't yeah, wait. Would. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Well, if it's any good as Summer of Soul, I'm sure it'll. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, it'll be great. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Looking forward to it. Joe, what are you up to these days, buddy? Okay. Uh, on my YouTube channel, I mean, Mr. Mayo. Uh, I just did a Fab Gab show about Yoko for her 90th birthday. Madeline was on it. Ken was on it, mm -hmm. and Tom and myself, and we basically discussed our. 10 favorite Yoko tracks, each of us. And that was interesting to do. Mm. And it's up now, if you want to check that out. And uh, this coming Saturday, the 25th, uh, uh, it would be George's 80th birthday, had he been with us still. And uh, I'm going to be doing a live Fab Gab on that, just some general talking and just discussing thoughts about George, things like that. I'm going to have people on there we're going to start with uh, talking about our top three albums of George, not counting All Things Must Pass, <laughs> aside from All Things Must Pass, because that's usually num number one, pretty much, for most people. And uh, it'll be at 9 p.m. on my channel, Mean Mr. Mayo, East, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And finally, uh, check out my movie channel if you like movies. It's now called, because I'm changing the title all the time, because Tom <laughs> Fry's to keep cool it's now called movies with mayo <laughs> nice. if you like that kind of spread on your movies you know yeah so nice nice very good madeline besides all of our shows and and the fest do you have anything coming up that you want to promote or any appearances or or shows that you you want to mention um hmm. a couple of things but they're not really scheduled in stone yet but right okay. now, I'm just promoting um, somehow German public radio got hold of me and they're doing an interview with uh, a special. Um, and then eventually I might I have a blog that I might put it together into a book after I'm done 
promoting this. Okay. So we'll see. Oh, very good. Okay, mm -hmm. Ken. Uh, first of all, my other podcast show, Things We Said Today, we just did a tribute to Yoko with Madeline and Dan Richter, who was John and Yoko's personal assistant from 1969 through, I think it's 73. And that was an incredible conversation that we had there. I advise you to check that out. We've all been doing tributes to Yoko, which is great. Um, and we're going to be doing our next show. Uh, since Joe was just talking about it, got to do something for George for his would-be 80th birthday. That's going to be the next one coming out, which will be next week. Um, on my own channel, Ken Michaels Radio, uh, first of all, <laughs> we did our very first all Beatles trivia show. And I did it with these guys right here, the Talk Bar Talk gang. Beatles trivia has been a part of my career since I started doing Beatles shows in 1982. Every single week I've been doing Beatles trivia on my show, Every Little Thing, and every week on my website, kenmichaelsradio.com. So it's uh, about 40 minutes long, I think. And we just pose a lot of trivia questions and Beatle games like I have on the website and in the radio show. And uh, you'll find out which of the three people here actually won the contest. I heard Joe in the background saying it's a landslide. But if you want to find out for yourself, you'll have to watch the show and play along and see how well you all do. It's a combination of eh, somewhat easy and more difficult trivia. And that's on Ken Michaels Radio. And I just did an interview yesterday with Kenny Forgione. You might have heard me talk about this show that I've raved about for years called The Concert for Bangladesh Revisited. This is a show where they recreate the entire concert for Bangladesh, not just Georgia songs, but Bob Dylan, Ringo, Billy Preston, Leon Russell, Ravi Shankar. And mm -hmm. they do this once a year. Uh, they were prevented for a few years because of COVID. This is the first time in several years that they're doing it. And it's this Friday at uh, The Space in Westbury, Long Island. It's by a band called Wondrous Stories. They took their name from the Yes song, classic song from Yes. Basically, Wondrous Stories is a progressive rock and classic rock tribute band. Um, and they do a lot of Beatles throughout the year as well. But this show is really phenomenal. They do all the songs from the concert for Bangladesh and they do another set on top of it. And there's always special guests to come along too. So uh, listen to this interview with Kenny Forgione. You'll find out about how this whole show is put together and the history of Wondrous Stories. And if you live on Long Island or close to Long Island, you won't want to miss this show. I was blown away. I've seen it twice already. And it's one of the best shows I've ever seen, mm. really. And uh, my radio show, Every Little Thing, you can listen to On Demand at uh, Fairleigh Dickinson University's radio station on their website, wfdu.fm. And um, and then there's my website, kenmichaelsradio.com with Beatles trivia every single week. Lots of audio interviews. By the way, I mentioned Dan Richter before. When Above Us Only Sky first came out, I, I, I was thrilled to interview Dan, Elliot Mintz, and Michael Epstein, the producer for the documentary, all like within a week or so. All these great Lennon interviews. And you can find all those on my website as well. So um, I think that pretty much covers everything. 
Wow. Well, busy as always, Ken. I don't know how you do it. Uh, we can all, you know, let us know the secret. <laughs> donuts. Donuts? donuts. That's it. Sprinkles, chocolate. <laughs> what is it? What are we talking? <laughs> it's an um, old SNL sketch with John Belushi. Yeah. <laughs> Breakfast of Champions right there. Yes. There <laughs> <laughs> love that skit. Yeah, I love that skit. Um, for, for two legs, you know, we... we We've had Madeline on. Thank you very much for joining us and, and talking about the you know, long history of, of, of Paul and Yoko's relationship. That was a lot of fun to, to talk to her about. Um, as, as always, you know, the Queen uh, you know, appearing on all of our shows. Uh, we talked about the lost 80s single of, of The Man. And yep. uh, it, was, it was going to be uh, put out as a single. It got, uh, it got uh, chopped there. <laughs> Sis Joe says, whoo! Um, yeah, I just talked to uh Glenn Greenberg today, and this will be uh popping up Wednesday on our YouTube channel. And this is the uh, the trivia book uh, of the Beatles, and uh, you can uh, get this now on newsstands and bookstores all over the U.S. And that was a lot of fun talking with uh with him on that book. And um, this Saturday, we will be talking about Paul and his uh, appearances on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that uh, was an interesting uh, chat about that because uh, he just, uh, there's more than just him not appearing, right, in 88. And, uh, and uh, you know, his, uh, his speech for John and obviously getting inducted himself. So uh, there's a lot more there. So um, you can reach us at twolegspodcast at gmail.com. And please check out our YouTube channel as well. Uh, two legs a Paul McCartney podcast so this was a lot of fun thank you again Madeline yep. Thanks thank, for you. It, Madeline. thank you thank you Madeline. you know giving us you know educating us on the on the wonderful world of Yoko because I feel like my life has been a lot lighter since I've been learning uh more more more, more about her so so for Madeline for Ken Michaels for Joe Mayo Kittle Tool I'm Tom Hanyati saying run 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 towards the light Take care, <laughs> Happy birthday, Yoko. Happy yes, birthday, Yoko. Okay. Okay. <laughs>